Hello, welcome to the Mortgage Strategy Support Strategy Podcast. My name is Gary Adams and I'm the Deputy Editor of Mortgage Strategy. And today I'll be speaking to Chris Dixon, who's a mortgage and insurance broker at Property Financial Management, Rachel Geddes, mortgage advisor and business principal at the Mortgage Advice Bureau, and Claire Jarvis, company director, also at the Mortgage Advice Bureau. And today we're going to be talking about stamp duty. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to be here to talk to me about uh, stamp duty, a hugely exciting topic right now with what's happened recently. Uh, so first, I'd like to ask your general thoughts. Uh, is this a good or a bad thing? Um, I'm talking about the timing, what it might do to the economy, um, the fact that there's a cutoff date. I think it's a really, really good move for the housing industry, but also the economy. It's so important right now to have that bit more confidence. Uh, so as things are starting to progress and get better, it's another fantastic area that we can say brilliant, more buyers, more first-time buyers especially, can start moving. Uh, my view is it's very good, but they should never have set an end date. They should have said pretty much until further notice and then allowed the market really to decide the end date. I think by specifying an end date, you you are going to manufacture a bubble um, if they stick to the end date. Uh, we've experienced that back in 1988 with the abolition of Myrus, when they gave pre-warning to a repeal of the tax situation, and that led to a catastrophic collapse in house prices. So my concern is that by specifying an end date, uh, we could see history repeating itself. I think it was an excellent move by the government, yeah, to make sure that um, there's more confidence in people buying. Um, I was, um, guys can probably, you know, say the same, but I was getting a lot of first-time buyers anyway. Um, so my opinion is that, um, yes, it's fabulous, um, but more first-time buyers have come forward. But in my opinion, I think that it allows the ones that were going to buy anyway to maybe put a bit more deposit into the actual mortgage, which means that they can't, they don't, you know, they're not, not necessarily restricted to 95 or 90% deals, which they may not now get. And I think the only problem we're going to have with the end date is next year, realistically, purely for the fact that if lenders continue as they are at the moment, ha- with the delays we've got and everything's taken so much longer in the process, pretty much clients are going to have to be in a position to have offered and be applying by December to guarantee themselves within that cutoff period. And that's what we might find is the last months of uh, quarter one next year could be quite frantic for everybody involved, people just trying to get that cutoff date. So I know they have said they've put the date there, but it could potentially be extended. And that's what we're just going to have to really keep an eye on with everybody involved in the chains and so on, because you could have clients that are expecting to pay the lower amount um, or take advantage of the 0% and then actually have to find the money last minute. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about the uh, likelihood of the end date being extended because we saw that with the furlough scheme. I mean, it wasn't a huge extension, but it showed the government willing to be quite flexible. So, uh, do, you, do you see this as something that can happen? I think anything's flexible. Um, and I'm sure the government, I mean, they're, they're very good that they do come up with creative ideas to, to, to have stability and to look at potential problems. They They did that with stamp duty when there was a threshold up to 250,000 and they smoothed that as well because there was kind of a glitch in the middle ground you know this people weren't buying certain properties because they were above or below that benchmark 
but I don't know why they specified or had to specify an end date. Uh, they, they really should have just said until further notice. Um, I don't know what the, the thinking is by saying it will finish on this date, because clearly people will rush to hit a date and it will artificially um, distort the market. Uh, and then people are, I mean, look at all those people who bought two weeks ago and have paid massive tax bills. I mean, they're going to be absolutely gutted that, um, you know, they, they didn't, you know, they, they if they're delayed, they would have saved thousands. Um, and then I've got people who are buying up to the half a million pound mark um, who, who are again going to save thousands of pounds. But realistically, they were wealthy and I, I don't see how they are going to by not paying that tax it's going to help them other than they've had a leg up yeah i mean for me i'm thinking that um transactions are taking just longer and longer anyway to get through um an estate agent will be you know on a positive day they'll be saying sort of 12 to 14 weeks some transactions are taking so my worry would be if someone's kind of majority of the way through their um their transaction and maybe lost their buyer or lost a seller and then if they had to start all over again, they they could miss out on because of the end date. They could miss out on moving whatsoever. So, if they went into April, for example, does that mean then that the whole deal's off and that they wouldn't be able to proceed? Um, yeah, Claire. Actually, I was going to ask. Um, well, I was going to ask everyone. Um, at the moment, we've seen a lot of uh, lenders and brokers talk about their capacity, so simply dealing with the amount of inquiries they've got being too much. I mean, what? what kind of impact do you think this is going to have it's already driving up the pricing at 90 percent um i mean hsbc are clearly by a country mile out there with you know fabulous pricing um but i've seen other lenders come in and they're putting their 90 percent rates up um because some people don't have a choice it's either hsbc and chance that you might get them the deal or go with somebody at the minute like bank of ireland or or platform or someone like that but maybe even paying one percent higher so that seems that for me that seems to be what's happening just purely on the capacity. The lenders are all using their majority of their staff, and quite rightly so, to help out other customers with you know existing customers with payment holidays and um, and queries like that, and people that might be struggling. They're, they're really struggling at the front end, and clearly the demand is there at ninety percent in a big way. We need more so, lenders to join that because at the moment, yeah. like you say, we've only got a handful of lenders who are in that market, and. Obviously, depending, depending where you are regionally, uh, where I am in the south, the under half a mar- half a million is mainly your first time buyers. So majority of them only have a 10% deposit. If you're lucky, a 15% deposit. So trying to actually manage the expectations of the client, um, regarding not just rates and timing, but everything involved, we need for this to work. Um, I think LNG announced it really well after the stamp duty was. It's a great, great incentive. But until the lenders are able to support it, it is going to be a bit of a battle on all sides, purely just to get through, um, because we just don't have the product sources there. I mean, the other thing as well is they are getting harder on their underwriting. You know, in the past, pre-COVID-19, we would do a self-employed mortgage. It would be based on the SA302s from April 2019. And they're now chucking in throwaway questions like, has your um, client, especially if they're taking dividends on shares and a basic salary, but have they been furloughed or can we have their three months business bank statement? So that's that's a change. So I can't really see that they're going to take the risk and go up to 95% loan to value. And what they will see is a, is a bubble. 
I mean, they've got some very clever people that work at these lenders that that look at the market and try and guess where they think it's going to go. Um, and why would they why would they overlend? They have a responsibility. You know, they're regulated, so they can't be seen to be overlending to a client who could potentially fall into financial difficulty and potentially negative equity a year down the road. I mean, that's what their economists are telling them. I speak to estate agents all day long. They're absolutely, you know, run off their feet at the moment. Um, but they too are saying, we expect it to come down. Everyone's saying, yeah, we think it will come down. When the furlough scheme ends and you start to see the levels of unemployment, which the government have acknowledged is going to happen, you know, and the support from the banks there with payment holidays and mortgages cease, what will happen to the housing market? I don't know. I'm just saying that the bank, I don't think the banks can take risks these days. Um, somebody mentioned uh, working predominantly in London, and that leads on to another question I have, which is, uh, I, I wonder if this is maybe a bit of a blunt tool in that um, there's no regional weighting in this, because as I understand it, the average first-time buyer in London is looking at a property at about £450,000, uh, which is going to save them seven and a half grand on stamp duty. Now, if you've got a first-time buyer in Middlesbrough, are they thinking, well, why am I not getting any saving here while people in London are? I don't, this is just my, my opinion, my, my first thought. I haven't spent a long time thinking about it too much. So am I wrong in this? I think it's been a long time coming, this conversation, purely for the fact that it's always been the differential between the prices when you come into London and that income doesn't always marry up to that. So sometimes you do find that first-time buyers are a lot older in and around London as well, purely for the fact they've got to save for so much longer to be able to support the mortgage or they need more assistance from parents helping out the deposit. So going forward, it would be nice for it to be made more regional so that people across the country could benefit from it. So right now there is certain people who will be benefiting but going forward what can we do to actually keep the house market stable because that's the thing we've always seen over the last 13 years how many things we've had happen regarding financial crises pandemics brexit all these things that have had such an impact what can we do to actually try and have a stable market going forward where when things do happen it's not such a big impact and it's not going on a roller coaster be good to have um a bit more um of an incentive for not just first time buyers but I guess second time buyers regionally as well in London particularly as you know I work in um out of Buckinghamshire and the amount of people that are dealing with our um my introducers and the estate agents that are now moving out of London because they're saying they don't need to commute every day so they can go out you know buy a what you can get here for 450 compared to what you can get where Rachel lives for example it's going to be quite you know much bigger um so maybe yeah it's um maybe it's something else could could be done for you know london but um yeah it's just uh it, it's 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 just the unknown a client's are saying a client said to me earlier on today you know what what do you think is going to happen what do you think is going to happen to house prices and i'm like oh, i don't know <laughs> i wish i had a crystal ball um but what i do know is that um at the moment the market's really buoyant there's a lot of first time buyers looking there's a lot of people putting their houses on the market this might have been you know the change that was needed for second time buyers to to actually take the plunge and put their house on the market. Um, I do know that interest rates under 
potentially under 90%, interest rates are still as competitive as they've ever been. So why would you not want to take advantage of it now? Um, what happens this time next year, whether or not it's just a, a build up, you know, and, and then come March, they do withdraw it. If it's a bit of a fall, then I suppose, you know, the house price is only relative if you want to move again in the future. Um, so, you know, for people that are really serious in wanting to move for their, I guess, forever homes or going to be in their houses for a long time, I think it's an excellent, I think it's still an excellent move. And I think even if it isn't extended in March, we've had so many stamp duty increases over the time where in the industry we've all been like, oh, no, it's going to increase on this date. And then two days later, business is still as it was two days ago because people preempted for that. I think if we could look at doing something better stamp duty long term rather than it just being a short term gap. But I can't see the market completely nose diving come the 31st of March. I think it's more confidence for today to get people moving forward um but obviously it's our duty as well as solicitor's duty and so on as we get nearer to the end of march if there's no talk of extension to be ensuring clients have made suitable um provisions if they do have to pay that stamp duty change i think chris has got a good point though when he said that um with the lender's criteria being um you know quite tight um lately as well um i'm working with a, a couple that are moving house at the minute um, and they wanted to port their existing deal with Santander, but because the lady was furloughed, they didn't fit the Santander criteria. And their priority was to move um, to a bigger house. Uh, they found a buyer for theirs. Uh, so clearly they had to pay their early repayment charge with Santander to get the mortgage that they wanted. And they were about £5,000 short on the deal and they got help from family. Now they're not having to pay stamp duty. They've saved that £5,000. And they're going to spend it on furniture and, you know, making the house look smart. So um, maybe it's a way of getting people to spend a little bit as well. I mean, I know that there's people behind all of this that above my pay grades, you know, that decide what's best economic. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, and I've seen them do these things and I've been really impressed with how government anticipate potential problems and deal with it. Uh, and I, I, you know, and I salute any kind of tax break that's given to people in the, in the house buying process. Um, my concern, and I go back to this thing, is that if we can learn lessons from the past, whether it's Robert Peston standing outside Northern Rock and describing the queues and the runs on the bank, and you know, we've enjoyed for the last twelve years wonderfully low interest rates. We've enjoyed capital growth. Uh, you know. I feel sorry for all those people that are stuck in rented accommodation. I mean, the worst scenario would be you're in rented accommodation, you have children and you went self, self-employed self in January. I mean, God, I don't know what support you would get from the government in that scenario. But sometimes I do believe that if we are trying to help the vulnerable, I can't see, I know that they want to encourage the housing market, but it does seem sometimes to help the wrong people, um, especially if the banks aren't going up to the 95%. I mean, maybe help to buy two, however you want to dress it up. Maybe there should be something where the government would offer... I mean, I know they're already underwriting the you know, mortgage guarantee premiums, but somehow help the banks to get them back up to the 95% level. That's what they need. And, and down here in the South Coast, what we're finding is all the older generation that historically would have sold their big four bedroom houses and downsized, they're not doing that because they're still paranoid about having anyone come into their house to do a viewing. Um, they're all staying put. So what you've got is 
really the first time buyers who now want to move and will get the tax break, but they can't get the mortgages. And then the older generation who are at the top, who now won't downsize, they'll just do equity release and live happily ever after in their four bedroom house because they just don't want people through their front door. I think that's, they're kind of doing middle England, but they need to look at the up, the, the top and the bottom really to help move the market. Um, yeah, the, the lack of downsizing is uh, an issue that I seem to be uh, writing about again and again. And I was, uh, do you think there's any likelihood that the government, I mean, obviously the government has identified this, can you see them making any moves to try and encourage that that behaviour? I mean, why would you? If you, I mean, our, our neighbours, you know, he he's had some heart conditions, and he's mid seventies, and and he's frustrated because he feels he's lost six months of his life. I mean, they travel a lot, you know, and they would they're affluent, but they they won't still won't hug their grandchildren. Um, you know, he's paranoid about catching the disease. My wife's a pharmacist. She works in a, a busy GP surgery. I can't begin to tell you how contagious this illness is. Um, and the older generation know that. And and they know that they're the most vulnerable. So why have the estate agent come in? And even though they, they won't be present at the viewing when the viewing goes on, maybe they go and sit in the garden, they still feel their house is potentially contaminated after a viewing. So... I think, yeah, I don't know how you, you get them to sell up and downsize at the moment. I have no answer for that one. I was talking to one of my introducers this morning that was saying that um, they were showing a couple from Wales around a property at the weekend. And apparently in Wales, a property has to be empty for three days before they, anyone's allowed in. Um, I, I so they came... They ca- I hadn't, uh, so they came up here to view a property, but they had to stay away for, for three days um, so that their, their house could be viewed. Yeah, the Conveyancing Association are, uh, are not happy about that. Yeah, but you can go to Tesco's and do a bun fight around the bread section, you know, orderly queue outside the front two metres. But the moment you go through the front door, no regard for other shoppers or the, the, the poor staff stuck in the shelves. And yet you have to wait three days in Wales to go and view your house. So there is seem there seems to be not a lot of continuity, really. Yeah, the uh, stamp duty cut doesn't apply to Wales either, uh, which hasn't pleased some people. Other things that will affect the housing market, which really isn't out on the table as a, as a talking point, and I think Claire mentioned this, that the way what's kind of happened because of the the pandemic is that the way people do business has changed. So historically, people would travel to a train station, get on an early train, go up to London, stick in the big office and come home again and, and lose maybe a third of their working time stuck on a train, the underground and so forth. Um, and what businesses have found is that productivity within a business that can function has been achieved the same as whether, you know, whether the staff got on the train and went to London. And, and then they'll potentially be looking at the cost of running that London operation to say, well, do we need to do that? Because our staff are getting much better quality of life working from home. We can kind of do more Teams meetings. We can go and meet up once every two weeks or once a month. So I think people do need, when looking at the property market, to factor in that central London, which has always washed its money out of London, might suffer a financial downturn on the prices because there'll be less incentive for people to live in London because a lot of employers might not be based in central London. That's my opinion. I don't know what the other panel members think. I think for most people who live in London, it's a lifestyle choice more than 
commutability in a lot of ways. Um, and my clients that are still based in central London um, have really liked the fact that they can walk around the streets and there's no tourists, nobody there. And they've got all this green parkery on their doorstep. Um, and even though they've not been going to work and they're in a lot of cases not expecting their big offices to open for some time to come, it's the lifestyle that they like. Um, and you can live several miles out of London and it's the same cute with even if you live in central London, because you might be able to get an overground train, which is quicker than the tubes because of the stops and so on. So it is more of a lifestyle choice. And I think London as a whole, it utilises so many other aspects for its property market from uh, foreign students coming here to study uh, to your overseas investors and so on. There's such a bigger space of money coming into London. Um, you actually find not as many people that work in London actually live in central London anymore, purely for the fact as you want to get more property space, garden and things like that, you, you move out if you want a slow pace of lifestyle as well. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens, especially with the office buildings and how that's going to work, which is a completely different subject because there is going to be less and less people using the serviced offices and so on because they've realised they don't need them. You've only got to look at the um, the lenders, haven't you, really? You've got a lot of lenders based down, down in the south, um, in central London on the outskirts and then you've got quite a few of the lenders based up you know Leeds Way, uh, Bradford, uh, Manchester and I've got friends that still are in the industry um, but either you know um, various um, lender sales roles and they're all based from home and they're all saying that that, that is their new norm now um, so you don't so other than the processing which I guess can still be done remotely but a lot of the processing can be done remotely so yeah these larger larger sort of city city based um offices are they going to need to be paying the uh, the big the big rents on them when they can move them out um and pretty much have staff anywhere in the country i mean it'd be good for, for um companies to um you know to streamline um their costs but you know not good for the necessarily the people that um are working there a lot of the bdms that i've been speaking to lately you know they're just they're so busy yeah. I don't know if you've seen the same they're so busy that but you can get hold of them all the time um because they're you know because they're sat at home working um yeah. so it, it's just a I don't I don't think the BDMs in coming into the office will be a, a norm um will be the new normal it, it, at all I think this is it um but in terms of the service that they offer it's fabulous I think the lenders are doing everything they can um apart from some of the top six It'd be good for someone to join HSBC to the party. Mind you, HSBC, you, you have to listen to that little, well, I say, I better, better be careful, but they've got this voice when you ring up and you press option one, two or three, and she sounds uh, mature, very mature. And then she talks about, you may hear background noises, animals and children. I don't know if anyone else has heard this, this lady. I mean, I'm in hysterics. And then you speak to the member of staff at HSBC and say, have you heard that recording that I've had? And they haven't. And I said, well, you just ring your own number and you've got to listen to this little old lady because she's amazing. And uh, so I don't know what made them come up with this concept that you'd have granny answering the phone telling you that you'll have dogs and cats and children when you get through to staff. But it's very funny. I'll have to give it a call. Um, we've got to wrap this up soon. So I'd just like to ask everyone, um, uh, could they, they sum up their feelings on this stamp duty cart? Uh, in three words and uh, I think I'll let Chris go first no end no end date no end date okay Rachel confidence in market is probably the best I can get to <laughs> confidence <laughs> boost confidence boost 
Um, I would probably say busy, uncertainty, confidence. See, so I would say it seems like generally a, a positive thing for the mortgage breaking community. The, the problem is you peg a line in the sand, then people will rush. And then what happens after if they don't extend it? That's my only concern. But I think in terms of the, the whole um, stamp duty as a whole and the situation that we're in, I think, um, again, to backing up the lenders, they're all doing such a good job. I think that they're really supporting us as far as, as on the broker side. You know, So I think we're all perhaps working together a lot closer now. Their, their communication is fabulous. So if they can just keep, keep all of that up, then... Um, you know, the, the end result is a happy client, really. Definitely. And for those clients that are saving on the stamp duty, it's given them the ability to have that little bit more confidence to do the move, but also have some reserves in the bank, whether it's to cover for the rainy day situations or get the furnishings they need and so on. So it is all going to go back into the economy one way or another. Um, it's, it's, it's not a negative way of looking at it from my point of view. It's just purely let's keep it going as long as possible and let's take advantage of it whilst it's here. Sounds great. Uh, thank you very much for um, taking the time to talk to me. As always, a big thank you to our guests for taking the time out of their day to speak to me today. And thank you to all the listeners of Mortgage Trashy Support Strategy Podcast. Speak to you next time.